Happy Tuesday morning, everybody. I'm Matt Scalisi, back with another episode of First Down South, where we talk about the pressing issues around the Southeastern Conference. I am joined by two of the best reporters covering that particular conference today. That would be John Talty over here on my right and Matt Zenitz on the bottom of your screen. Um, you know, guys, we're we're past the spring. We're we're definitely getting into that territory where they're they're the, the rosters are largely set for the fall, but there's still some movement going on. And there's some pretty high profile movement going on thanks to the transfer portal, which you know we've been talking about for a couple of years now, but uh, it's really starting to become a pretty major factor in how things play out in the offseason in this conference and, and around all of college football. So let's get into a couple of specific ones first, and then we'll talk about kind of how we think this whole uh, aspect of the game is starting to affect things in, in the bigger picture. First off, uh, biggest news in the transfer portal uh, really this week, possibly the biggest one of the offseason, Henry Tooto'o, uh, a linebacker from Tennessee, announced that he is going to be transferring to Alabama. Matt, uh, you, you're a, a guy who breaks a lot of news on the transfer uh, portal. Can you tell us a little bit about how long this one's been percolating and kind of how this one came about. It had been in the works for, for a while and ultimately came down to a combination of the, the two teams that played in the national championship game with Alabama and Ohio State. So the thing that delayed this from maybe happening sooner was just the 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 lack of confirmation at this point from the, the SEC on the interconference transfer rule that would make guys transferring from one conference school to another immediately eligible. But it, it's pretty clear that Henry and his family are comfortable enough that that rule is ultimately going to be passed to, to make him eligible this year. That uh, went ahead and, and made the, the public decision or public announcement to uh, go to Alabama. But this one – I mean, this goes back to when he originally went to the portal. Alabama had been one of the clear favorites throughout the course of the process. Uh, there had been other schools that had tried to get in the mix, not only Ohio State, but the, the Floridas of the, the world. Uh, I know their, their staff had had a good amount of communication with Henry throughout the course of this deal also. But uh, for, for most of this deal, it, it seemed like it was trending in the direction of him ultimately ending up at Alabama, which obviously – the end result. And we, we know that uh, Tooto was, you know, ha has had interest in relationships at Alabama for a really long time. He was, uh, they were one of the finalists for him during his original recruiting process. So not totally shocking, I guess, if he's going to go into the portal that he would end up in Tuscaloosa. But John, when, when we look at the impact here, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was th this, I think, I think when the transfer portal was kind of originally envisioned and when people were thinking about how it could affect the game we were thinking about guys who maybe were struggling were good players but struggling to get playing time where they were um this is this is not the case for this particular player how, how do we how do we see this impacting you know i guess at alabama but but you know also just what does this tell you that a player of this caliber and importance to his team went into the transfer portal yeah, I mean, I think we have to take our cues a little bit almost from the basketball side of things where we have seen high-level guys decide to, you know, go to different programs. And in some ways, it's upgrading the program. So you might have been 
you know, a star for, let's say, Vanderbilt, and you decide, you know, I really want to be a star for North Carolina. Now that I'm good enough in this space, I can do that. So I think Henry kind of fits that in which, you know, he could have stayed at a Tennessee program that had to go through a coaching uh, search. You know, he's now would have had to have played for the guy who didn't recruit him, uh, and Josh Heupel, who's there now. And he instead gets to go to a place like Alabama, in which they're coming off a national championship and will again be considered one of the favorites to win a national championship. So I think you will see moves like this uh, in terms of guys who can, you know, maybe upgrade their status. Uh, I think we've seen a lot in the basketball side of things. You know, mid-major guys bump up. Uh, we've seen that in terms of graduate transfers. Um, Alabama's gotten multiple in the past. Um, Garrett Dieter, Richard Mullaney, guys like that. But I think you might see even more talented guys uh, make that move, you know, now that everybody has a uh, kind of a free pass to transfer once uh, without having to sit out a year. So I think you're going to see more movement. Um, we're already seeing a lot of guys enter the transfer portal. Uh, there's not going to be enough seats for everybody, given the amount of players that are in the transfer portal. But for a high-level player like uh, Joe Oto, you know, there's obviously going to be a lot of options, and, and Alabama is, uh, is a good fit. For him, in which he'll have an opportunity to uh, to play right away, assuming that the SEC does uh, waive that rule uh, in making players have to sit out one year for any interconference transfer. And the thing I'll add into that, so uh, the, the message was pretty consistent from the, the three main schools that I'm aware of that, that were involved, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida, that opportunity to, to play to, to start right away. And seems like big goal for, for Henry. His focus is doing enough this year that he's going to be in position to, to turn pro after the season. And that, that was part of the pitch for these three schools. Also, that they feel like we'll have an opportunity to showcase himself while starting getting an opportunity to, to play to the point that he will be able to accomplish what he's looking to in terms of having that opportunity to, to turn pro after the season. But, I mean, Pete Golding led the way on, on this one for Alabama, not only Alabama's defensive coordinator, but inside linebackers coach. Also, the, the coach is going to be working with him now. But an interesting component of this that's a little bit different compared to when the recruiting process started with him a few months ago is you've seen the emergence of Jalen Moody now. So I, I don't know if there was necessarily as much concern at that, that inside linebacker spot um, now compared to what there maybe was a few months ago before Jalen Moody had the type of spring that he did. And Jalen Moody's the the kind of kid, kind of the, the underdog, former three-star recruit type who is used to maybe being overlooked especially with, with some of the former four- and five-star recruits in the, the locker room with him at Alabama. I, I'm curious to see how that goes now because I, I'm not expecting him to just throw in the towel by any means. That said, as an extremely talented, accomplished kid coming in, who it's going to be very tough for him to, to beat out. But from an Alabama, from Alabama standpoint, obviously it's a great problem for them to have where you have a, a kid in Jalen Moody who – earn the trust of the coaching staff even more during the course of the spring and is proven capable of playing if need be. But then you add in one of the, the better inside linebackers uh, from the SEC during the course of the last couple of seasons to your inside linebacker room also. And we, we talked about Jameson Williams, the, the wide receiver from Ohio State that transferred to Alabama last week. Um, it, it's It's been a – I think most people would say it's been a net positive uh, – off season for Alabama in terms of the transfer market. It's been, it's, I think for most teams, there's a little bit of give and take uh, on both ends of it. And, and looking across the state at a, just another SEC school at Auburn, 
Um, you know, we have seen, I think, five guys basically in the in the last few weeks uh, transfer out of Auburn. We're, we're seeing them looking to pick up additional players um, on the transfer market. And, and some of that, I, I would say, maybe is normal attrition, right? Uh, I mean, it, it's the kind of it's the kind of you know, wheeling and dealing, I guess, that we, that you typically see from a coach in his first season. Am I right? Am I, am I correct in that, John? Yeah. I mean, I think again, you're seeing, I feel like a lot of that's come after spring practice ended. So, you know, you can easily imagine, you know, that's when Harson and his staff are going to have a better sense of who's going to play, who's not going to play. And they're going to be those conversations in which you tell certain players, Hey, you know, if you want to, if you want to stay here, you know, that's fine. But like, there's not going to be a big, you know, role for you going forward. And so if you want that, you know, you're going to have to seek that elsewhere. So it's pretty natural. You see it, I think, with almost every, you know, new regime that comes in, there's going to be trans- transition and certainly some attrition there. Matt, when, when we, I, I mentioned on the bottom of the screen here, we've got, we've got a defensive lineman, Tony Fair, uh, who's been at UAB, who's, who's one of the, one of the transfer uh, market players that Auburn is looking at. I know he's making his decision this week. Um, just, just in general, what, what do you see Auburn, you know, maybe looking to upgrade position wise in the transfer market? Well, first of all, with Tony Fair, that that's at a position that's been a big point of focus for, for Auburn, as far as potentially adding a transfer interior D line. So the, the kid is even acknowledged that leaning towards Auburn. So I, I think it's fair to say that, that Auburn's probably in a decent position on, on that one. But the positions that I've heard about, you have interior D-line, you have safety where Ladarius Tennyson is currently at the safety spot next to Smoke Monday. I think ideally for them, they would like to slide him down to play the, the nickel spot and add somebody at safety. Donovan Kaufman, who was at Vanderbilt last year with Derek Mason, would be a name to keep an eye on there. Uh, I, I think – uh, they're going to be in the market for a receiver, depending on who comes available there. That, that's something that they've identified as a position of need for them if the, the right kind of kid comes available. It wouldn't surprise me either if they, they look to potentially add a, another player running back to go along with Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers, even though obviously they have every reason to feel good about Tank Bigsby and the kind of player he is. And it seems like Sean Shivers, even a, as creative a player as Tank is, that Sean maybe even had a better spring than, than Tank. But at the same time, the depth took a hit with, with some of the guys that, that left throughout the course of the, the, the past few months since the, the season ended. So, so let's, let's kind of zoom out a little bit and look at how this is affecting the SEC in general. Because I, I think, again, you go back to when this was first really becoming a story in college football. Um, the, the, the changing of the transfer rules, the, the elimination of the waiting period as a requirement, um, all of these things, I think in general it was looked at as this is a way to give some leverage and some power over their own careers back to the players. And in general, I think you're going to see a lot of support for that around the league. You're, you're going to see that from media that cover them. You're going to see it from, from fans for the, for the most part. If, they're, if, their team, if they think their team can benefit from it, for sure, you'll see the fans support that. But I, I wonder how, how much any, anybody, the NCAA, all the rest of us, anticipated uh, the, the way that this would really affect things in the real world. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess at this point, it's fair to say that like most other rule changes that college football has implemented, this one seems to be 
something that the teams who are already very good have figured out how to turn to their favor. Do you think that, th- that that's an accurate assessment, guys? I think in some ways, you know, the rich are going to get richer. Um, but I also think it's the programs that act decisively and aggressively that are going to benefit. So, you know, Alabama, we know, is going to benefit. We can talk more about that in a second. But you're seeing certain programs. I think Washington State is one of them where they hired somebody specifically just to work the transfer portal from their recruitment recruiting department. Because when these kids hit the transfer portal, they're getting bombarded pretty fast. And so if you want a kid, you got to go after him aggressively. And it's it, just a lot of work for, you know, the – recruiting staffs, assistant coaches, you know, it's a lot of babysitting, building connections fast. And so the programs that are best suited to do that can benefit. And you are seeing, you know, schools that aren't just the top of the top that are benefiting from getting after kids very quickly and trying to lock them down. But, you know, if Alabama, it reminds me a little bit, I think, of what we saw um, early, you know, last decade when you know, Nick Saban had a, a big aversion to the way the game was changing and the, the hurry up, no huddle stuff and basically said, you know, do you want this to, is this what you want football to become? And when people answered yes, he basically said, okay, I'll do it better than any of you. And we're seeing that again. He doesn't want, I think, transfer portal to happen. He's been one of the people who's against, you know, calling it free agency or whatever you want. But he has said, listen, we're going to get more good players than we're going to lose good players. So if this is what you guys all want, we'll find a way to capitalize on it. Like we capitalize on everything else. And you know, what we've seen, we're not seeing top players leave Alabama and instead they're adding two immediate contributor guys. And so I think, you know, Alabama is going to benefit uh, just fine from all this. And, you know, we've talked about in the past, but we'll see, you know, the NLI stuff has a chance to impact all of this kind of wrapped in with the transfer portal as well, but I'm sure Alabama will find a way to, to do that well uh, additionally. Matt, you're, you're a guy that in the course of your reporting, you talk to a lot of people close to the game. You talk to people who are, who are you know, members of staffs in, in the SEC and, and around college football. How, how, do, how do the people that you talk to who are most affected by this, the people who are actually part of college football programs, how, how do they feel about the transfer portal? Is it is it infuriating to them? Are they are they dealing with it? Are they you know are they sort of just figuring out a way to make this a part of the normal operations? What's what's kind of the sense that you get from from people on the ground about this? There was some frustration that Alabama continues to add more talent to an already talented roster. I think back to a message that I got from somebody on SEC staff that was involved in the recruitment of Jameson Williams after he committed to to Alabama. And the message was something along the lines of how does Alabama even have any scholarships left? But I I think it goes back to just what you brought up in terms of um, the rich potentially getting richer. You have players who don't even need to be graduates at this point to be immediately eligible, which puts schools like Alabama more in the market than they would be other years. And you've seen Alabama be one of the schools during the course of the last couple of weeks uh, that's benefited the most on not only a regional level, but a national level also in terms of bringing in some high quality, immediate impact type transfers at positions of of need or concern. So, so let me ask you guys this, because I think this is kind of the, uh, the overreaction nightmare scenario that, that you, that some fans, media, again, what, whoever could, could look around right now and, and have about the way that this is playing out. Right. I mean, I, I think we heard a lot of complaints a few years ago 
in the NBA when the, the Miami Heat and then the Golden State Warriors and, and other teams, when we started to see super teams forming, right, when, when the economics of it and the way it all worked really sort of promoted the idea of the best players all gravitating to each other and playing in, in these super teams almost. Um, I don't necessarily – college football is a lot bigger. There's a lot more players. It's a lot easier to be competitive in general. But is that a threat? Is that something that you see as a legitimate possibility here that – I mean, look, we've already seen. We've talked about this when we look at the playoff field every year. It's, it's not that many different teams that have been making the playoffs in the playoff era. Is, is the transfer portal and the way that the rules have changed making it possible for these super blue blood class of teams to become almost impossible to keep up with because of this, this idea that these guys say, look, I'm, a, I'm the best player on an okay team, but I can also go be a really good player on a team that's going to be in the playoffs and win a title. I'll let you take that, John. <laughs> I mean, we already have super teams. We I mean, kind of do, yeah. There. I mean, if you look at the teams that are recruiting good enough to win a national championship, it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia. You know, those teams are going to probably handle the transfer portal well. I mean, it's like Zenith was saying. I mean, I think what helps those teams is they, they already have such a strong talent base that they can look at the end of spring practice and say, all right, we really need a fast receiver. Let's go out and get the best fast receiver. You need one thing and not – 30 things like some of these other schools do. I mean, I think there, there's more impact for that, I think, Scalise, in, in the basketball side of things, where it can take one player to completely change your your roster. Football is just not that way. I mean, quarterbacks, I guess, could do that. But for the most part, you know, somebody like Jameson Williams, I mean, great player, probably will have an impact. I don't think he changes them from winning a national championship or not. Um, we'll see. But, like, in basketball, for instance, Auburn gets a guy, Walker Kessler, you know, in theory, that guy could completely change their trajectory of this upcoming season. So I think in football, we're going to see, you know, like we said, the rich are going to get richer. I think the top teams, there's already, I think, only such a small pool of teams that can win a national championship year to year. And I don't think the transfer portal is really going to change that that much. Um, again, not to keep harping on the same point, but in theory, the NLI stuff could change some of that. I think that the smart programs are going to find a way to capitalize on it. Alabama has already announced some of what they want to do. But in theory, there could be some program outside of the core four or five programs right now that really figures out how to do it well that could maybe jump into the mix there. But, you know. Because it's suddenly we'll switching. I, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point, John, and, and where I would look first probably in that. We'll definitely talk about that more when that issue becomes more pressing. But – you know, there are some teams that that historically have huge fan bases in our major media markets in and of themselves that have not been as competitive as as I think we feel like they should be for a variety of reasons. Texas is one that I Texas immediately think of. Yeah, I mean, te te Texas has, has not really been a, a major factor in the national championship discussion since, you know, really since 2009 or so. And, and it's not due to money and it's not due to their media market size, but those things could really benefit Texas when um, when making money becomes a part of being a college football player. So who, who knows? We'll see. Um, I, I do have a, an interesting question before we wrap up for the day uh, from our comments today, and it's from our friend Ben Flanagan uh, at AL.com. Ben, ben says, why do the guys 
think players like Dylan Moses and others less likely to be drafted didn't take that extra year of eligibility at Alabama. And just to for context, Dylan Moses and, and really everybody else uh, had the ability to come back for another season because of the NCAA's waiver uh, on the 2020 season. So I, I have seen several people ask this before, and it's a good question from Ben. Why, why do you guys think that, that some, of the, some of the older players who ultimately came out and either didn't get drafted high or didn't get drafted at all in Dylan Moses' case, why didn't they use that extra year of eligibility? I'll let you go first, and then I'll give you my theory. Yeah, so with, with Dylan, just personally, I thought there should have been more consideration to coming back to school. So obviously he had made the, the decision that the year before, even despite being somebody who would have had a chance to go in the first three rounds of the draft, made the decision to come back to school for another season. But uh, th this last time around, it seemed like he had had his mind made up all along and he was ready to move on from college. It was, um, even though technically a redshirt junior, uh, somebody who took part in their senior day festivi festivities, and it seemed like there was an understanding all, all along that this was going to be his last college season and maybe just be being a guy who was of the mindset that had already been in college for that amount of time for him, I guess it would have been four seasons, reach a point where just ready to move on and go to the next level. And I don't think Dylan had any sense whatsoever that was going to end up going undrafted. So were the projections is as good as what they were pre-2019 injury? No. Were they as good as what they were coming out of last year? No. But I, I think he still had confidence that he was at worst going to go at some point on day three and was ultimately comfortable with that. I don't, I don't think uh, – when he made the decision to, to leave and, and not explore another year that he would have thought whatsoever that he would end up being an undrafted free agent who only got $70,000 in terms of guaranteed money. And then um, along the same lines to a certain degree in terms of just being in college for a, a certain amount of time and just being ready to move on, you look at the, the Josh McMillan's of the world. So you could have made an argument, okay, Josh McMillan's most likely not going to, to get drafted, not sure what his chances of getting picked up by an NFL team are going to be. But at the same time, Josh McMillan been in college for six seasons. At a certain point, you're, you're just ready to move on and, and take the, the next step, regardless of what the projections are. But Dylan is the big one that you could have made a, a real argument that he would have uh, benefited by coming back to school. And obviously that's easy to throw out even more after the fact now and, and second guess. But that was at least my understanding throughout the course of the, the process of just Dylan's thinking. And we, it was just of that mindset throughout the course of last year that that was going to be his his last college season. Yeah, I think I think Zenit's nailed it there. Um, I think, you know, like he said, I mean, even Nick Saban, you know, said publicly, our, our guy Craig Stevenson asked him about him. He's not mobile. I mean, Nick Saban was surprised that Dylan Moses went undrafted as well. So certainly Dylan Moses was expecting to be drafted. And I think, you know, all of us were a bit surprised he didn't get drafted too. I thought he'd at least go, you know, fifth or sixth round or something like that. So I think that was a little surprising to begin with. I think like Matt was saying, you know, Think about it like this. Dylan Moses was, what, a top 10 recruit. There was probably no scenario in his head where he thought, I'm going to have to go to Alabama for five years. You know, he might have thought he was only going to go there for three years, which you know, he did want to leave and ultimately came back. So I think you get to a certain level, and our, our uh, colleague, uh, Michael Casagrande, has a story on AL.com now ranking the recruiting classes. You look at the class that Dylan came in with, with all those top guys all going in the first round, all the guys you came in with are leaving. And you think, all right, I, I should be leaving with them. I, you know, in my head, I think I'm a first-round talent. I've been, you know, beset by injuries and, I, you know, didn't have maybe the season I wanted, but I still believe in my talent. Somebody's going to see that too. 
And, you know, I think finally, like Matt said about Josh too, like certain point, you just want to start making money. You know, I think all of us had that point, probably, you know, you want to start your career and you're hoping it's the NFL and you make a lot of money, but certain point you're like, I just don't want to be in college anymore. I need to start making some money. And, you know, whether that's if you already have kids providing for your family or just, you know, helping out your parents who helped you get to that point, like you want to start making some money. And so, you know, looking back with hindsight, Moses comes back for a year, gets his knee healthier. I think he could have been, you know, a day two pick next year, you know, if, he, if his knee held up and played the way he could. But, you know, there are a lot of reasons, I think, why you know, he wanted to take that next step. And it's unfortunate he didn't get drafted, but you know, there's still an opportunity for him if he, if he puts in the work. Yeah, and and just, just to tack on to that, too, I mean, it, it is – it's obviously not easy to have a job. It's definitely not easy to be an NFL player. But pretty consistently when we talk to guys who are – who are on the back end of their Alabama careers, who are leaving Alabama, uh, and we get to talk to them right before they move on to the next level, we get a pretty consistent message that it is very hard work to be an Alabama football player. It is exhausting. It is tough. It's a day-to-day grind that doesn't really let up. And I think a lot of them look at it as, I can do this for, for a period of my life. I don't think any of them would would say I want to do it this way forever. Um, that's well, the sense that I get from those guys. Mac Jones and Christian Barmore might be uh, doing it forever if they stay with the Patriots. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, like you said, Zenith, I'm sure will appreciate this reference I'm about to drop here. You know, for some of us, you know, you go to college, you don't have the responsibilities of Alabama. You can you know, live that damn wild their life. You know, yes. stay in college for seven, eight years or whatever. But like you said, the hard work that it takes to Alabama. I mean, it's it's a daily grind. Those guys are getting up early. They're working out every day. They're practicing when they're able to practice every day. I and mean, it's, it's a lot harder than the average college lifestyle for someone. So and particularly in Alabama with the work that's required to put in the work every single day that, like you said, I think that's a good point that, you know, we didn't hit on. Like, it's not easy to do what you have to do at Alabama. Right. So it to, you, know, you put in the work for three, four years so that you can be drafted early. If, if they wanted to have an easy time at Alabama, they would have been journalism majors. Take take it from me. Yeah. And one thing, just looking at Josh, Josh McMillan, which I know Ben's question was a little bit more broad than just individual guys outside sure. of Brooklyn, but with Josh McMillan, if he was in line to be a surefire starter, I think maybe that one would have been more of a consideration also. But even if he had come back to school, uh, it wasn't – going to be favorite by any means to even start. So it, it takes away from the motivation even more if it doesn't look like you're going to end up starting, even if you do sure. come back. Yeah. Good points. All right. Well, uh, thanks for that question from Ben. And thanks to everybody uh, who checked us out today on first down South. As always, you can get us uh, in podcast form over at Spotify or at Apple podcasts or anywhere else uh, that, that uh, you get podcasts. So Check us out, as always, and we're here every Tuesday live on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, So for John Talty and Matt Zenitz, I am Matt Scalise, and thanks again for watching First Down South.